This is a show about financial planning with a particular focus on the issues facing those close to or living in retirement. Each week, our host, Dan Wendell, will share his expertise in retirement planning in a fun and down-to-earth format. Now, let's begin another episode of Dolphin Financial Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Dolphin Financial Radio show with me, Dan Wendell, owner of Dolphin Financial Group. Today, we're going to be talking about trusts. Yes, the legal document, a trust. You've heard this. It's been a topic that I get questions about all the time. And so we're going to talk about what they are and then answer the question, do you really need one? And to help me with that, I'm bringing in my favorite lawyer, expert, slash non-practicing attorney, Steve Nino. Steve, welcome to the show again. Now, we did a show recently about ownership rules, and we're going to reference that a lot. But for those of you who haven't seen that, that's probably a good place to start because we're talking about how to avoid probate and how to get your house in order. So if something happens to you, there's less drama. Now, today we're going to talk specifically about trusts. And I want to begin by asking you, Steve, what is a trust and are they, aren't they for the rich, right? Because every time you hear trust, you immediately think of huge, you know, Rockefeller money that needs a trust or a trust fund baby, or you might even hear, think of like the movie Clue, we're going to read the, the will and, you know, like it's always rich people with trust. But is that the case? Is that the reality? Yeah, good question, Dan. And the one that I get a lot from clients. So uh, do I need a trust? Well, here's what a trust is. First of all, a trust is nothing more than a, a vessel that holds assets. And that could be money. It could be a bank account. It could be investments, whatever. Um, it holds assets. And then you have somebody who decides when to distribute those assets uh, out, that is the trustee. So you have to have somebody who you literally trust to manage that bucket of money, that vessel of money or whatever it is. And then the third element of a trust is the beneficiaries. You have to have people that you're distributing it to. So you have this money sitting in a, in a, in a bucket with somebody who has the authority, the trustee, to distribute it out to the beneficiaries of the trust who are named in that trust document. And trusts are nothing more than a piece of paper, but they hold title to assets. And now, we talked about that in the in the last show. Nothing you've said so far said anything about money and the rich. Exactly, Dan. Um, where trusts come into play is more or less when there's complexities or concerns about kids having control of assets, uh, you know, your heirs. Do you want your kids to inherit a bunch of money right away? And even if it's not a bunch of money, it could be a, enough that it could cause trouble for that individual. Maybe they're not very good with money. Maybe they're into a sad situation where there's family dynamics where something's wrong and you just don't want money being handed over. So control is oftentimes uh, a big, big reason for trusts. And, you know, a trust typically, you know, you're looking at 1500 to $2,500 to establish a revocable trust, one that would, you know, um, uh, be able to help you with that control in the long run 
keep it out of, uh, you know, the suit, uh, you know, sometimes there's trouble in the family and keep it out of trouble, so to speak, keep the assets safe from trouble exactly, uh, for yeah. the kids. Now, one of the, um, you know, talking about the trusts is and one of the things we talked about last time was, you know, you ownership, how you title things bypasses probate, which we talked about was expensive. You have to get lawyers involved that you have to, it has to go through a proving process, the will, right? So the will we talked about last time has the will is what you want to have happen, but it's still got to go through probate. You, you just don't just because you say it in a will doesn't mean it will go there, but if it's in a trust, it bypasses probate, just like if you have a named beneficiary. So what I want to talk about though is, so what happens to your assets when you pass away? It's gone. It all goes into an estate. And I want to talk about this word estate because I think that also is associated with rich people, right? But an estate can be anything. It's just what you have, right? Correct. So, yeah. so um, I have a slide I want to show. Um, let me put this up. So talk to me about this. I know you're a fan of this slide. Mm-hmm. Um, your estate, everything you owned minus what you owed. Okay. Correct. So then yep. what? Yeah. So that's your total estate. That could be a house and could be a car. That's it. That's your estate. It could be that simple. How it gets distributed depends on the plans that you use. So you can see we have wills, trusts, title arrangements, all kinds of things, ways to pass assets on. And there's really three places your money can go, family and friends, or a charity, a social, you know, a church or a school, something like that, and 501c3 organization, and then taxes. And if you, uh, if I'm a betting person, I would imagine most people would rather have it go to the top two versus taxes. And that's the planning that we can do with you, Dan, is how do we diversify our money so it's not all going to taxes, you know? Well, I put taxes, they're equal, but I put it separately because I wanted to highlight that taxes are something that people don't think about. But I also think that people assume trusts are for those that have huge estate taxes, which I believe in the past was one of the main reasons why people would have a trust to avoid taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, your plans, we talked about it in the previous show. If you have a will, it's still got to go through probate to say, is this will valid? Is it accurate? People can contest it. But if you have a trust, much like a named beneficiary on a, on a, on a, stock trading account, you name someone that doesn't go through probate. Correct. Legal recourse. So with a trust, is it the same thing? It doesn't go through probate. Am I correct? Yes. A trust is basically in that category of contract that we talked about in the earlier program. Yes. Contracts are defined as having a beneficiary named on the account. Trusts have a beneficiary named inside the trust. So they're, they fall into that which falls out of the probate process. Doesn't have to be proven by a court because it all it's all spelled out within the trust. Nice thing about trust, Dan, that I didn't mention earlier, they're private. A will is probated at the court and that's public information. You could go down and see your neighbors 
will, what they had, where it's going. A trust passes silently. Nobody even knows that there was a trust. It's private and it keeps it out of that probate so that nobody, you know, your neighbor can't find, won't know what you're passing on to your children. And so if you name a beneficiary that bypasses trust, if you name a trust as a beneficiary that would bypass probate as well? There's a difference between naming a trust as the beneficiary as well and owning the trust, owning something. So keep that in mind. If I own a, let's just say I own a house and it's just me, uh, I'm all alone. I don't have anybody else to give it to. If I say I'm going to give it to a, a, a trust when I pass away, that's going to have to go through the probate process to determine if indeed it should go to the trust. Whereas if I set up a house inside of a trust, in other words, I change the title on the house to the trust and then I pass away, then it would not go through the probate process. It's already set up to have a beneficiary. I name my kids as the beneficiary on the trust. It keeps it out of that probate process. I want to start talking about some of the reasons why people would get a trust. But before I do, I want to talk about the, I want to, you touched upon it. I want to describe the difference between irrevocable and a revocable trust, because I think this also, it confuses a lot of people. What is uh, the easy way for people to remember which is which? Right. It is a confusing. So it's in the name. If you really just look at the name, revocable trust or revocable, those are not going to be outside of your estate. You can change your mind. You can put assets in, you can take assets out. You can terminate the trust or tear it down, it, revocable. You can change your mind. Um, and those are powerful still, even though they're not, uh, I will talk about irrevocable, but revocable makes sense because it does pass bypass the probate process. And when you're gone, then it is irrevocable and it keeps those assets in a trust for the benefit of whoever you named as beneficiaries. Revocable, you can change your mind. Irrevocable, is one where you set up a trust that is not part of your estate. It's a, it's, and so we showed you what is in your estate in that diagram. Irrevocable mm -hmm. trusts are not part of the estate. It's a separately taxed entity, and it's used for purposes of lowering someone's uh, net worth, getting those that money into a tr uh, irrevocable trust so that their net worth doesn't grow so large that they have estate tax, either at a state level or a federal level. Um, estate tax is a concern that drives people to use irrevocable trusts. Also, asset protection. A lot of people in the medical industry or healthcare who have uh, been practicing and are well, that's a litigious world. So if someone is worried about getting sued and losing their family fortune, sometimes they'll set up an irrevocable trust and those are called asset protection trusts. But again, they're not part of the estate. So if somebody gets sued, they can't get the assets inside of that because it's in that irrevocable trust. The downside is that yes, it's irrevocable. Dan, if you put money into an irrevocable trust, you're not going to be able to use it for yourself. You're not going to be able to pull it back out. It's set up to go to the beneficiaries. So if I, 
and thinking about this the right way. Tell me if I'm wrong. If I make a trust with my wife and where are the trustees, that's revocable. We can change our minds and say, oh, well, this son's going to get nothing and or we want to put this asset in, take it out. That is not creditor proof because if someone sues me, they can go right after the trust because that's basically I still have control. An irrevocable trust is it the same thing except I'm not the trustee? So there's some third. Does it, does it, can I be my own trustee on my own irrevocable trust? Typically not. You don't want to do that because then the IRS will, if, if there is a question of taxes and so forth, of how big your estate is, they may say, hey, Dan, you were, you had control over those assets. You were the trustee. And guess what? It's going to be part of your estate. Never was outside of your estate. And same way if you got sued or something, if you were the trustee, they'd say, well, he still has access to that. So maybe we can get those assets. So not a good idea for you to be the trustee because you're demonstrating that uh, control, which you're supposed to lose control of those assets in an irrevocable trust. Gotcha. Now, one other thing about control and creditor proof, one thing I did hear from a previous show uh, um, was an attorney said one of the benefits of a trust is by naming, say, my children in a trust, if they get into a litigious situation, um, say I pass away and I leave my stuff to the children through a trust, then during that process, one of them gets into an automobile accident and gets sued that asset is in the trust, not in that child's name. So they, they can't come after all their other brothers and say, Ooh, right. It's, it's because yes. it's in a trust, it's protected from the beneficiaries own legal issues from each other. Yep. That is another big reason for creditor protection for the family to keep the family's wealth intact. And basically, yes, you can set up a trust where it could be a revocable while you're alive. And then when you pass away, the trust becomes, from the kid's perspective, irrevocable. So in other words, somebody gets a divorce and there's a bitter divorce and the ex-spouse is trying to get money from the family. Well, they can't because the child is the is the only beneficiary. The spouse is not a beneficiary of the trust. And so it's a great way to preserve the family wealth, the family, whatever it is, even if it's not a real affluent, you know, high net worth situation, it still could be something important to the family that they want to keep, you know? Exactly. And here are the list of the top reasons for a trust. And we talked about creditor asset protection. You just brought up previous marriage concerns or divorces, or sometimes there'll be uh, second marriages and, you know, okay, so I want to leave things to certain people. Um, a trust might be easier. And here's my take on it. Tell me if I'm wrong. I have four, uh, three boys right now. Um, I want to leave it equal. So I can name them beneficiaries equal, but down the road, one of my children gets a divorce or dies and God forbid. And now I want to move it to just the other two and not his ex-wife or widow, for instance, if I name beneficiaries, I'd have to go to each account and make sure that they're correctly renamed because we talked about how important it is to title things. But if I had everything go to a trust, and I had the trust set up that if certain things happen, it goes to the divorced spouse or not, or the widow. 
is um, a trust a way to make life easier for changes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that, no, that's a really good example. And you're spot on in your analysis, Dan. So doesn't it cost money, though, to make those changes? That's one of the things I hear from people is, well, if I want to make a change to my trust, I got to pay a fee to the lawyer to make this, you know, all I want to do is change the birth date of so-and-so or, you know, I got a grandson that came in and. Yeah, I wouldn't be so concerned. If you meet with an attorney and you are considering setting up a trust, ask if they have a way of ensuring that future changes uh, don't cause a charge. I've seen a lot of law firms where they'll offer, we're going to pay 1500 or 2000 up front for this trust, and that encompasses any future changes. So that's something I would ask for is, does what I'm paying right now up front cover the future, any changes in the future? And that usually you'll find that it's it's reasonable. Okay. So we're talking about why you need a trust. We talked about creditor protection. Uh, estate taxes is probably the big one traditionally. Yeah. But for most people, that's really, since they've raised the uh, estate limit to t- tens of millions, exactly. um, that's kind of gone by the wayside. Um, that might come back in the future if they change the tax co- code and laws. Um, there might be some state taxes that people want to avoid. Um, probate, obviously, if you name, if it's in, a, if a trust owns something, it's not going to go through probate because it's not. But here's the question about that. We, we, we talked about it already and i said if you name an asset the trust is the beneficiary does that bypass probate or what if you forget something and we talked about pour over wills in previous shows um so oh anything i forget in my will goes to that trust that's still probate though correct exactly yeah you know although we recommend the pour over will that is a will that will catch anything you missed anything you forgot about uh, it will pour it into the trust yes it does go through the probate process but it's going to be a lot less of a period it's going to be pretty straightforward and easy um, probably less cost i mean it's going to be all kinds of it's going to be fast and easy i think with pour over wills as opposed to just a will that says this goes here, this goes here, this goes here. Yes. If you have all your assets in a will and not already designated to a beneficiary or within a trust, that's when it gets a little Correct. bit complicated Correct. and expensive potentially. We'll get into that in a minute because I want to talk about the cost of all this. One thing we didn't talk about is special needs trusts. Talk, talk to me about what that is and why that comes into play. Sure. So a lot of times when people have children or adult children who are taking advantage of government aid, um, the, the, the reason they're able to do that is because they're under a certain level of income. Um, they're, they're not earning a lot of money and they don't have a lot of assets in the bank, so to speak. You wanna, if you wanna keep taking advantage of government aid after the caregiver has gone, mom and dad, maybe, or grandpa, grandma, whoever's taking care of that individual. Once they're gone, who's going to take care? Well, a trust is a beautiful way to set up a care package for that individual. Number one, it can uh, take care of their life needs, uh, just like, you know, enhance their life by giving them certain things here and there, taking care of them for 
things that they need as far as entertainment and things like that. The key on special needs trusts, though, uh, Dan, is that you don't want it to do pay for things that the government is paying for. Because if the government sees that, well, golly, you've got this trust and you've got so much money coming in, um, you don't need us. Mm-hmm. So the the idea, sometimes these are called supplemental trusts, a special needs trust. It's supplementing their existing life. Like it might be a trip to Disney World or a, another type of trip or something like that. But it's not going to pay for a wheelchair or the drugs or, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's got to yeah. keep that separation. And they're, they're highly technical, but they're highly effective. And touching on that or staying on that vein, along with the one that I put up the last year to rule from the grave, I see special needs trust. Obviously someone has a disability in your family, can't manage the money. Um, but you can even take that a little bit further and say, well, you know, I do want to leave it to my son, but only if he cleans up his act, only if he meets these certain goals or, you know, rules that we set forth prior to death. So for instance, you might have a son that's really not good with money and you want to leave him his share of the the estate, but you want him to only get so much a month or only get so much when he hits age 35. Uh, Maybe you say he can only get it when he passes a drug test, Uh, something like this. All of those special rules and way to rule from the grave that would require a trust correct you couldn't you couldn't put that in the will and say the will stipulates if he's you know sober for 20 days he gets the money right you couldn't that wouldn't fly right no 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 that's not what a will is for a will is basically to pass it at the time of pass assets at the time you pass away or shortly thereafter Uh, a trust is made to last and to continue into the future and benefit the family. And that's why, yeah, exactly. The trust is where you would put those provisions in to help the family uh, succeed. Now, one of the big things that I see people do is they create a trust and then they don't put anything in it. So they have this fancy document that they spent all this money on with a lawyer and then they pass away and nothing's in the trust. So everything has to go through probate anyway. Because like we just said, if you name the trust as a beneficiary on some things that might work, but on some other things, it's better to have it titled as the trust owned. So a prime example of this is a lot of people ask me, what do I do in my house? That's all I got. I have, I have my IRA, which has got my two daughters named equally. I have my checking account, which I titled t- transfer on um, payable on death to my, you know, one daughter who helps me out. And then I got my house and my car. So is this a case where you would potentially put the house and the car in the trust to avoid that probate? Well, you certainly could. And, you know, I want to just back up, Dan, that is such an important point. Uh, You wouldn't believe how many trusts I review and then call up the client or the advisor and say, what's in this? Oh, oh, uh, people forget to fund these trusts. So it's just, when you put that up there, it's one of the important the biggest things that we see in terms of a, it is the biggest thing. So anyways, a trust, you know, yeah, house, cars, you can put them in a, I would recommend a revocable trust, one that you can change your mind. 
that keeps it out of the probate process. It's not going to keep it out of your estate for estate tax purposes, like an irrevocable trust. But yeah, if you uh, if you want to just make sure it goes to the right people and you want to delineate, make some clear delineation as to who it's going to go to and mm-hmm. the timing on that distribution, then a trust makes sense for both those assets. It makes it easier for the people surviving and the courts because the courts won't get involved if it's clear. And it's in the Mm -hmm. trust. Mm -hmm. So getting the trust is one thing. Um, Funding it is the other one that we need to get people to do that. Um, Now, before we answer whether or not people should be getting these, who's in this trust? So you need a lawyer to draft this. I'm assuming you can't do, you know. Generally, um, yes, yes. um, There's some people listed here. We got the grantor, trustee, beneficiaries, and the property itself. The property itself, we know. We did the show on that last. Yeah. What about who's the grantor and the trustee and the beneficiaries? Who can this be? And what, what's, what do you see commonly? Sure. Sure. So the grantor is somebody who's granting assets to the trust, making gifts to the trust or putting money in the trust. Think of that way. Grantor typically in a revocable situation, a revocable trust, the grantor is also going to be the trustee. The trustee is the person who decides how to distribute the assets, when to distribute the assets. The, they're unnamed on the on the trust. So, Dan, if you had one, it would be the Dan Wendell Family Revocable Trust. And you'd probably set up a bank account that the trust is uh, owning that bank account, but you as trustee can draw checks off of that account. So trustee, and I I will say just an aside, that could be your biggest challenge. When you think about, yes, a trust makes sense for us. We want to have a trust. It's going to do good. It's going to make it simple. It's going to bypass probate. Oh, wait, who are we going to put as our trustee? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a real tough one, but just we'll save that. We'll talk about that. Beneficiaries are... Uh, Uh, anybody really normally what we see is the children the kids and then if there's no kids the grandchildren um there could be a charitable organization that's included in that a church or a school we see that sometimes um so really beneficiary just has to be listed in the trust it has to be real it can't be like for my future uh you know business or something like that or you know it has to be ascertainable. And, um, and then there's property. And again, it really could be any type of property. It depends on what type of a trust you're establishing. If it's for passing wealth to your family, then, you know, your assets are going to be what you have, what you own and things like that. But um, if you have unique uh, assets, you have a, let's say you own an apartment building that you rent out, um, you know, maybe that might be the not be the best thing to put in a in a trust because then wow all the paperwork in in order of titling taxes and things like that so property depending on what type of an asset it is it can go in a trust easily a lot of things can go in a trust but some go a lot easier i.e cash (laughs) and probably if you have property in multiple states it might be best to have it in a trust as well you could yeah and um one point that I want to make before we move on to the cost of these things and whether or not it makes financial sense. If I have minor children, like I do, I have three children under the age of majority in the state of Florida. If I were to pass away my wife too, um, my kids would, you know, what would happen? 
if we didn't have a trust, if we have a trust, the trust is the beneficiary and it can oversee the children, but children can't inherit an IRA at age, you know, 12, right. Or, you know, cash or a car, like what would happen in that case if I didn't have a trust? Do the courts step in? Yeah, exactly. Unless you have the will. Well, the will would probably specify how the retirement accounts, those things are going to go to these young kids and so forth. But they would also, hopefully the will would set up an executor. If my kids are young, here's who's going to take over for this. But if they, if that's silent in the will, uh, the court will decide who does it. So yes, good, good point. And, and for <laughs> those with grandkids, if you leave money to the grandkids, it might not necessarily go to the, to the seven-year-old little Johnny, right? Um, exactly. If the, it might go to the parents. Yeah. So sure. unless you put it in a trust and have it for Johnny at a certain point. Okay. That's right. So let's get to the bottom line here, which is people ask me this all the time. Oh my goodness. I talked to a lawyer and there's so much money. Give me someone that's cheaper. Uh, you know, they want three grand to get a trust. Do I really need it? I don't have that much. There's a million reasons usually, well, there's thousands of reasons, dollars to not do a trust. They're expensive. Isn't it cheaper to just bypass the trust a lot of times? Yeah, it is. And I like your idea, Dan, of a cost benefit analysis. And, you know, so first the cost, let's just assume it's between 1500 and 2500 Okay. So then you know, let's look at your situation. And there's two lenses, so to speak, that you would look through. One, family. Do I want to exert control after I'm gone? Do I right. want to rule from the grave? Is that important to me? Or am I just, I'm gone, the kids have at it. I mean, that's literally kind of the analysis you have to do. Okay. If you find that family is a big deal, put a big, you know, put an emphasis on that. The second analysis is really around uh, affluency Are you uh, or complexity. Do, do you have enough wealth and affluency that it is going to be potentially an estate tax or is it just too much money? to lay on the hands of your kids when you're gone? Do you want to spread it out over time? It gets to control, but it, it's a combination of control and how much is it that you're leaving to your family? Now, I really do want to emphasize, if it's not a complicated situation, if you have a house and a married couple and you have uh, a few assets and things like that, generally through the titling, you can figure out how to bypass the probate process, how to make it a nice smooth transition. What it doesn't do though, which a trust does, is it doesn't rule from the grave, so to speak. It doesn't give you that ability to say, okay, once I'm gone, here's how the house is gonna get play out with my kids. If you just do it through a transfer by title, they get it and they can do whatever they want with it. And to give a little bit more detail on the numbers in the state of Florida, I think it's about 75,000. Once you hit that point in probate, it's an automatic 3% of the value that the lawyers get to go through the probate process. So it's lucrative. Probate's a lucrative pro industry for the lawyers. I'm throwing them under the bus here, lawyers. Sorry. Um, but if you think about that, okay, if you have $200,000 that goes through the probate process, there might be a $6,000 fee on that, which could have been avoided potentially by properly titling or through a trust. And if it costs you a couple of grand, 
to make the trust, well, there you go. And once you start getting up to the hundreds of thousands and the millions of dollars, having things titled properly or having a trust could really be cheaper than paying a, you know, getting the, paying the lawyer for that could be cheaper in the long run. Of course, in all cases, you're not around to see it. So you only get to do it once. You might want to do it right the first time. Exactly. Um, So to conclude, Trust is a tool. Now, I heard you use an analogy in a previous, you know, um, seminar you've done. You said there's a pitcher. A trust is a pitcher. Yeah. And just imagine a pitcher of water and then all the cups out there are saying, me, 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 give me. And the, and the pitcher pours everyone's. The trustee. Drink, right. The trustee, the trustee pours it out. Yep. The trustee pours the water into the different cups, which are the beneficiaries. So a trust isn't some something complicated. It's just. It's just a vehicle to pass assets on. Um, The upfront cost might be worth it considering all the confusion, the cost and the combat. You know, if your kids are going to be fighting about it or there's going to be your long lost sister that says, no, he said this to me, get it done now. So your heirs don't have to deal with all that when you're gone. Exactly. Any final thoughts on trust, Steve? What is your take? Well, what's the biggest mistake you see people make or any a word of advice if you if people are thinking about this? Well, I think funding is the first and second biggest mistake is that time over time, if you've set up a trust, things change. Family dynamics, there may be a divorce, they may be somebody passed away. So you have to revisit the trust. You don't want to, I've sadly seen a lot of trusts being um Uh, executed when somebody passes away only to find out that all the terms of the trust are not relevant because the family dynamics have changed so much. So be careful on when you do set one up, keep checking it to make sure it's relevant. Yeah. Or leave it open, uh, you know, have it be a flexible living document that you change over time. Excellent. That's a good, good piece of advice. Steve, as always, thanks for your time and your expertise. I appreciate it. Listeners, we're going to have more from Steve over time and stay tuned. You can follow the playlist. I'll put it up here on legal issues and Steve's going to be a great resource for us all. Thanks, Steve. And we'll catch everyone next week. The topics on this show are wide ranging, yet relevant to people approaching or living in retirement like me. If there is a topic you want to hear on the show, head to dolphinfinancialgroup.com and contact Dan to request your topic or to share your opinion. Dan Mundell or Dolphin Financial Group are not affiliated or endorsed by Social Security or any government agency. Everything discussed on today's show was for informational purpose only. Since everyone's situation is different, some things may not apply to you. The materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources. We cannot be 100% certain that they are accurate. You should really talk to my dad or someone from Dolphin Financial Group before trying to implement these ideas or strategies.